Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. I'm uh, my door person, Jeff and Emily, who usually do the door for me aren't here tonight. So I'm doing both, but I got this. Um, some of you have been here the last couple of weeks. I've been going through this um, teaching on mindfulness from the, mon- the monastery that we visited in, in Thailand in, in November and uh, going through the way that they're practicing mindfulness and sharing it with you, similar to the way I teach and some differences and kind of right from the, the scriptures, what we call the suttas. Um, and we started with uh, the, the breath awareness practice and then... Um, Last, last week, we went into the uh, investigation of the parts of the body, what's called the 32 parts. And uh, tonight, I'm going to do a little bit on this um, mindfulness of the body, being, becoming mindful of the four elements in the body and um, investigating that. And then we're going to do a uh, meditation. It's called a charnel ground meditation or a corpse meditation where we reflect on the impermanent nature of the body. And then we'll have some discussion about death. And um, it's a bit timely. It's, it's kind of just where I'm at in this series. But uh, yesterday we were at a, some people here and myself and we're at a um, funeral, paddle out and memorial. And during the paddle out, somebody died somebody died at the funeral and um and then also this week um one of the guys that works downstairs at the tattoo shop died killed himself um this week and so just kind of a a lot of uh you know there's death you know kind of messengers of impermanence and death uh in, in my experience kind of come through and sometimes come in waves of the the reminders of of death and impermanence and and uh, you know, I'll just say this now, my sense of the Buddha's encouragement to turn towards death and to keep it a, a, a regular contemplation and reflection and part of our mindfulness is um, to help us uh, with appreciation of the preciousness of life. Sometimes, you know, people have resistance to, oh, I don't really want to think about death. I want to be, you know, tendency to be in denial or avoidance or it seems morose it seems you know something um but the the buddha's teaching it's part of the mindfulness teachings it's over and over part of the practice part of the path because it's part of the reality that we live in um we live in these bodies that are impermanent and you know these relationships with other people whose bodies are also subject to sickness and aging and death and um, and so there's a lot of importance on, in Buddhism of uh, becoming awake, becoming aware, be turning towards 
the reality of uh, the impermanent nature of the body. And so the meditation that we'll do tonight uh, goes through some somewhat graphic visualizations of the uh, body's process of decomposition, decay, um, as though you're uh, sitting, meditating next to a charnel ground and you're viewing bodies in different stages of, of decay and um, disillusion. And, and also, you know, it's connected with the awareness of the, um, the four elements, right? Because when we're alive, this body is the four elements. And then when you die, the, uh, you know, the air element, goes maybe first you stop breathing body stops breathing and then really quickly the heat element goes and then the water element starts to drain from the body until there's just you know some earth element the bones you know to nothing the skeleton um and so that process of you know life is being the the four elements and then in death the you know process of change where the you know uh, in this teaching and in the traditional way, it's um, not our Western tendency with, with bodies, which is to either burn them real quick. You know, there's, a, there is a lot of burning in, in, um, in, in India. It is part of the tradition or our, our kind of um, embalming and preserving bodies. And then kind of, I don't know if you've ever been to an open casket um, before where it's like, let's pretend like they're not dead. <laughs> let's put makeup on them and let's, you know, let's put grandma in her pearls and her best dress. And, um, you know, everybody can go say goodbye to grandma with her, you know, with her makeup on or, or whoever, your friend. Or... So we're going to meditate on that and talk about it. We'll have some discussion. So maybe for a breakout, you know, I like to begin by asking you to talk to each other. Um, what's your relationship like with death? Anybody you know die recently? When, when was the last time you uh, experienced loss of somebody that you know that you care about? Um, so maybe for the first opening question, you know, maybe it was a friend or a relative or. Um, and then, you know, how do you how do you relate to the the fact that your body is only going to live for so long? Is that something that you're bringing to awareness? What's your relationship like to the fact that here we are, we're alive temporarily, but that knowledge, that understanding, that wisdom, that this life is has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that weird thing is that we have no idea when the end is going to be. There's that um, uh, Buddhist pithy, you know, teaching that says uh, death is certain, but the time of death is uncertain. Like we all know we're not gonna, no one, no one's gonna live forever. We know that, but we don't know when we're gonna die. And we have those statistics of, you know, uh, in in the West, you know, kind of men generally live into average age is like, you know. 78 or something like that and women it's like 83 or those probably aren't the exact numbers but ballpark late 70s for men early mid 80s for women is statistically how long we live so you have some idea of like okay well i'm in my 50s i might have another 20 or 30 years or maybe you're in your 20s and you think i got fucking 50 years i'm not i'm not even thinking about this shit yet 
or maybe you're in your 60s or 70s and you're going like you know maybe i have a decade maybe i don't um but then of course uh you know like this guy at the funeral yesterday who i believe was in his 50s maybe i think i think 50s and sober recovery surfer guy paddled out had a stroke died mm. wife and daughter there in the paddle out like mm. you know kind of statistically he had 20 more years but he didn't have 20 more years he you know he was out in the ocean and his you know he and he and he passed um and and we all know that that's possible for all of us or any of us at any time so what's that like for you knowing and uh, and again can you bring some preciousness of like oh when, when i reflect on it hopefully the intention is that we put more um not i don't i want to say urgency but uh not like stressful urgency but but appreciation and preciousness and and gratitude uh, for the life that we do have and the opportunity that we do have to be as wise as possible and as kind as possible and nothing's worth clinging to and nothing's worth stressing about when you're really keeping death you know over your shoulder and you're really aware of like you know how many petty resentments am i holding on to that are just meaningless when you know where i'm really reflecting on uh you know how, how much am i going to care about traffic uh if i knew that this was my last day to live <laughs> or my last month to live or my last you know how stressed out am i going to get about the neighbors or um and using the awareness of death uh as a, a preciousness and appreciation rather than a it's so depressing and you know uh makes sense anyways i'm going too far you talk to each other a little bit about death um find two or three people who you know what's your last loss what's your relationship like at home i'll put you in breakout groups welcome back so we'll have a period of meditation find a way to sit that's comfortable to begin with upright relaxed try to find a way to sit that feels sustainable like you'll be able to maintain it sustain it without much movement knowing that becoming uncomfortable is okay that's part of our our practice When you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed. Settling into the posture and it's always a good idea to begin with setting the intention to be kind, to be patient, to be accepting of ourselves just as we are. An attitude of friendliness. An attitude of kindness. Establishing 
awareness in the body, mindfulness of the body. Feel your body sitting here, contact with the chair, the cushion. As we bring full awareness to the body, we disengage from the mind, disengaging from the tendency to be thinking about the future or the past. In some ways, we're thinking about the present, investigating it. What's this feel like right now, sitting here? feeling the breath coming and going. Often we use the breath as the anchor, the focal point. This teaching from the Buddha of mindfulness of the body and the breath is part of it. But this evening, as we open first to the four elements, how do you experience your body as the four elements? <coughs> the traditional teaching is translated here is review this body however it's placed as consisting of the elements in this body there are the earth element the water element the fire element and the air element and the buddha uses this analogy he says just as though a skilled butcher or their apprentice had killed a cow and were seated at the crossroads with it cut up into pieces. One reviews the same body, however it is placed. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. And one dwells contemplating the body. So using your mind, not completely trying to ignore your mind, but using your mind to investigate, contemplate. The air element with each breath. the heat element, the fire, with the temperature. Whether you feel warm or cold currently, knowing that it's generally 98 degrees in this body, internal 
temperature. And as we did last week, contemplating all of the parts of this body that are mostly water, all the organs, the blood, the flesh. Over 70%, close to 80% of this body is actually water. So feel this as a water body that you're sitting in, that you're investigating. Imagine the skeleton of this body, your body, the bones, the earth element. This instruction to contemplate the body both internally and externally, becoming aware, contemplating the nature of arising and passing, the impermanent nature. Each breath teaching us this arising and passing. And then this reflection that's part of each instruction where the Buddha says, or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established to the extent necessary for knowledge and mindfulness. And one dwells independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And this is how one contemplates the body in the body. And expanding to the nine charnel ground contemplations, these nine reflections on death and impermanence. 
Imagine you were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground. So you can get an image of a body laid out, thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two, or three days dead, bloated, livid and oozing matter. Comparing this body with it thus, saying to ourselves, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that as it's not exempt from that fate. Imagining a dead body and reflecting, I, I too, this body too is not exempt from that fate of lifelessness. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. The next instruction, reflecting on this corpse as though we were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, being devoured by crows. Give yourself a moment, bring the crows in to eat the corpse, being devoured by vultures, being devoured by hawks. Take a moment, visualize this body being eaten by these birds. Then the canines come in, he says, being devoured by dogs, by jackals. Imagine this body laid out, decaying, becoming food for these animals in nature, being devoured by various kinds of worms. We reflect on this body that we're in, that we're very much alive in right now. As we reflect on this corpse that's being eaten by worms. And we say to ourselves, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. This body too, if it were laid out in an open natural place, would be devoured by the birds, by the dogs, by the worms.
the next reflection is as though we were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, a skeleton with flesh and blood held together with sinews. This process of decay, the four elements dissolving back into the earth, being devoured by birds and dogs and worms. And so there's just a skeleton. Imagine the skeleton held together with sinews, a fleshless, fleshless skeleton smeared with blood. A skeleton without flesh and blood held together with sinews, disconnected bones, scattered in all directions. Here a hand bone, there a foot bone, here a shin bone, there a thigh bone, here a hip bone, there a back bone. Here a rib, here a chest bone. Here an arm bone, there a shoulder bone. Here a neck bone, there a jaw bone. Here a tooth, there a skull. Scattered bones laying out as we visualize and we reflect. Comparing this body that we are in this body too, my body is of the same nature. It would also be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. And the last part of this charnel ground. As though we were to see a corpse thrown aside, bones bleached white, the color of shells, bones heaped up for more than a year old. As the bones 
rotted and crumbled to dust. Reflection on how the four elements will completely disperse eventually. No more air, no more water, no more heat. And even the earth element of the bones crumbles to dust. Nothing left of this physical form after some years, if it were left out to the elements. And we say to ourselves, this body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. So again, a reminder, this meditation instruction, very detailed, systematic investigation of the physical body. (coughs) Contemplation of death and decay. What emotions does it bring up for you? What, where does your mind go? How much resistance? And remember that refrain, that instruction that says, or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established. Mindfulness that there is a body, that this body is here, it's impermanent, it's subject to sickness, aging, and death. As we attempt to dwell independent, not clinging to anything in the world, not even clinging to this body.
Letting go of the reflection, returning to awareness of the body here and now, the breath coming and going. <coughs> the heart beating all by itself, the lungs breathing, the mind thinking, the heart feeling. bringing as much kindness and compassion as we can to the unpleasant reality of impermanence, death, loss. From the Diamond Heart Sutra, a later teaching. It says, thus shall you think of this fleeting world. A star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. A fleeting nature of life, of existence. A star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream.
my sense is that um, all of the Buddhist teachings were um, meant to be practical, practical to the lives that we live. There's not a lot of esoteric um, teachings in Buddhism. It's, it's very much like, uh, and, and what we say is that the, uh, the Buddha, we quote this, this teaching a lot that says, um, um, the Buddha was asked a lot of different philosophical and esoteric questions. And he said, I only teach the truth of suffering in human life. First noble truth, I just, you know, and how to end it, how to not suffer about being a person having a life and, and including the, the reality of impermanence and sickness, aging, death, loss, how to not create an extra level of suffering on top of uh, the already painful reality that we live in. Life is you know, the, the pain and, and loss and is unavoidable, impossible to avoid loss, impossible to avoid grief. But, you know, the Buddha's teachings are, so what's the best way to navigate? It? How can we relate to death? How can we relate to impermanence? How can we relate to the pain in our lives and the pain of loss of, you know, uh, of death, of losing someone that we care about, that we love, that we uh, maybe in some way or another even are, you know, dependent on, um, deeply connected to. One of the other conversations, in a, uh, I don't know if you know this story, but it said that Siddhartha, before he left, the, he was raised as a prince, the, you know, the Buddha before he became the Buddha, uh, and before he left the, the kind of castle and the protection that he had grown up into, um, one of the reasons why he left was because of the heavenly messengers. He saw a, a, a corpse and, you know, for the first time in his life realized like, oh, that's going to happen to me. And he saw an, a very old person and realized that's going to happen to me. And then also was taught reincarnation. And there's like, not only are you going to get sick and old and die, but you're gonna, it's going to happen over and over. You're going to be in this cycle of rebirth of sickness, aging, death. And part of his drive to find enlightenment, to end suffering, uh, was from that what's called a heavenly messenger, death, as a reminder, as I started the class tonight, as a reminder of the preciousness of life and the, uh, you know, ability that we do have to develop compassion for our pain and to meet pleasure with non-attachment and to be you know appreciative and grateful and uh have a, a pretty good life in this you know you know with the pain <laughs> with the pain with the loss with the difficulties that it's actually quite possible to um have a lot of joy and a lot of happiness and to navigate the sadness in a skillful way um, 
so one of the other sort of, I sometimes think about, you know, death in, in my circle in my life as that reminder of the uh, truth of impermanence and the, you know, somewhat urgency to, to be as kind as possible and not attached as possible. And, and one of the other calls that I had this week was with another member of the community of the Sangha whose um, two children died in a car accident a few months ago to, to son and daughter, 20, early 20s, both were in a, an accident together and died at the same time. And, and um, you know, that kind of unbearable, that, that, the idea of losing your children, how unbearable that sounds. And it was one of the conversations that, that we were having. She, you know, she was like, I, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine before this happened, I, I would have said I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. But here I am, and they're gone. And I'm still here. And I have all of this sadness and all of this, you know, but I'm still I am bearing it. I am actually walking through this massive heartbreaking, as you can imagine, grief. And the, um, you know, the capacity that we have for, for pain and for sorrow and for, um, you know, how often has your mind say, tell you, like, you couldn't handle that. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to handle, you know, losing your partner or your, even your ideas about your parents or your, and our children, right? That's the, that's the biggest one for, for parents of kind of, uh, that, that would, you know, it's, it's unnatural, right? It's natural for your parents to die first. <laughs> That's the natural order of things like, yep, grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, but hey, I'm supposed to die before my kids. But that, you know, then because of the reality is uh, many parents have, have to experience that, that heart-wrenching grief. So right here in the mindfulness teachings, right after the Buddha says, you want to be mindful, pay attention to your breath, pay attention to your body. He says, also pay attention to death. Pay attention to the impermanent nature of this body and see uh, how identified we are with it and how attached we are to it and how much denial we are about uh, thinking like it's going to go on forever or, um, you know, and, and the more we do these kind of meditations and this one is particularly really about being dead. Uh, but one of the other practices that um, is connected with it is the five daily reflections. And I've said it a few times already, but to each day say to ourselves, um, uh, you know, sickness, this body is subject to sick sickness. I'm not uh, exempt from becoming sick. And, you know, sickness means, um, aid, you know, means um, illness, but it also means injury. It all, you know, it means uh, all of the ways that this body is fragile. And, you know, yes, you can get a cold or you can get COVID or you can break a bone, you know, but also, you know, you can other diseases and, and, you know, I'm not exempt from that. This body is subject to sickness. Uh, aging, 
I'm not exempt from aging and just reminding ourselves, this is a, a body that is aging all by itself without your permission, without your, uh, it just is doing it. I'm not exempt from aging. And, uh, you know, when we're young, we don't quite notice it, but the older we get, we start to become more and more aware of like, oh, I don't have the energy I used to have and I don't have the mobility I used to have. And, you know, shit's changing and gravity's catching up and, you know, shit's aching. And, you know, it's part of the, the process of aging, not exempt and just reminding ourselves, yeah, it's natural. It's part of the way things are. It's part of the Dharma, the way things are. Um, and I'm not exempt from death. You know, this body was born and will live for as long as it lives and this body will die, not exempt from that. And we can take that reflection not only for ourselves, but to each other. Oh, everybody that I know is subject to sickness, aging, death, everybody. This isn't personal. This isn't, you know, um, some sort of failure or some sort of curse or anything. It's just the way it is. Everyone's subject to sickness, aging, death. There's two more reflections that are, uh, you know, and that's sort of common sense, right? Those first three, like, yeah, duh. You get old, you get sick, you die. Or maybe you die young. I've had a lot of, a lot of young people died. Our friend Lion, who we were at the, the funeral for, the memorial service, um, just 30, I think, early 30s, battling cancer since he was like 12, like a teenager, like lived 30 years, something like that. And, you know, we don't know how long our lives are going to be. The other two reflections in the um, daily reflections is uh, on impermanence, subjects to sickness, aging, death, and then acknowledging loss. The, the, the fourth one is um, everything that I cling to, I'll be separated from. Just acknowledging that. Everything that I hold near and dear and I'm identified with and think that I need, it's all impermanent. I'll be, you know, at death, I'll be separated from it. And probably sooner, <laughs> probably not that much stuff that I think I need that I'll get to keep my whole life. I mean, just imagine, you know, you can reflect back on your earlier life and think of some of those things that you're like, I need, I'm going to keep this DMX bike forever. <laughs> this skateboard is, this is the one I'm keeping it forever. And then you realize, oh, no, I'm going to be separated from that skateboard and that bike and that car and that first loving relationship, probably. And all, you know, all of those other sort of like things that we thought we needed and we thought we had to cling to. And I'm going to be separated from. The fifth reflection is very Buddhist. And it says, um, your only true possession, we reflect to ourselves, my, the only thing I actually own in this lifetime, none of the material stuff, none of the people, none of the places, none of the things. My only true possession is my karma. That's it. You don't really own your car. Everything else is leased. Mm -hmm. Everything else is borrowed. Everything else will be re returned when you die. <laughs> It'll be passed on to someone else, something else. The only thing that you keep when you die, your karma from this Buddhist perspective of 
rebirth and that there is some momentum that we come into this life with and that we take with us. It's our karma, how we have behaved in this life. Whether you believe in reincarnation or not, um, not important to me anyways, but it is interesting to reflect. Um, the only thing that I really own is how I behave, how I respond, how I show up in relationships, how I treat people. That's what is really kind of what who what I what belongs to me, what I um, what I what I am in some ways. It's not my job. It's not my fashion. It's not my likes and dislikes and views and opinions. It's uh, how have I uh, behaved? Karma, action. How have I acted? That's the stuff that's uh, the only thing worth really um, identifying with kindness, generosity, compassion, forgiveness. Those are the qualities that uh, we take with us. There's a um, teaching from Ajahn Chah about impermanence uh, that many of you have heard. It's, uh, it's a common, uh, I, I sometimes talk about it a lot. I don't think I've talked about it for a little while though. But Ajahn Chah is the Thai forest meditation master um, uh, that is the lineage that I am most connected to, Northeast Thailand. And he was a monk that uh, many of my teachers studied directly with. And um, there's a, a teaching about um, some Westerners visiting him, and he's giving all these teachings on non-attachment and the impermanent nature of things and the kind of dead end of materialism and that there's, you know, possessions will never bring you happiness and giving all these teachings. And then one of the um, people there uh, points out that uh, Ajahn Chah is always using the same drinking glass. For me, it's my pink cup. And he says, um, you're teaching us about non-attachment, but I wonder, uh, you know, venerable Ajahn Chah, are you a bit attached to that drinking glass? Because, you know, you're talking about no possessions and you're talking about non-attachment and impermanence, but you always got that same glass. And like, well, first of all, what a jerk. <laughs> what a dick to try to confront the monk about like, hey, man, are you attached to your cup? <laughs> but anyways, Ajahn Chah doesn't, you know, he just says like, well, he's like, you know, I, this is my favorite glass. I love this pink glass from the 99 cent store. Um, he says, you're not wrong. Uh, he says, but I, I feel no attachment to it. And I actually see this, uh, um, I, I, I prefer it. I, you know, they bring it to me. I enjoy it. I like the way it holds my water. And he, he has this like, he's like, I like the way the sunlight sometimes comes down and like reflect little rainbows off of the, the glass and the Like he's like, has a romantic relationship with this glass. He's like, you know, I really, I love this glass. He said, but also there's no clinging. He's because I understand that this glass is already broken. 
I know it's in permanent nature. I appreciate every time that I bring it to my lips because I know I, it, it's temporary. And this is such a good teaching about life and about like if we can bring that kind of preciousness to our relationships, to our activities. And when we kind of like, this might be the last time I see you. I'm going to come back to that already. So he says to me, this glass is already broken. I was one time um, many, many years ago saying goodbye to one of my meditation teachers, who's a monk in this Ajahn Chah lineage, Ajahn Amaro. And I was, I was saying goodbye to him and I was saying, um, I'll see you soon. And he said, mm. so let's not say that. He said, um, because of the impermanent nature of things and we don't know. He said, Look, just say goodbye to me forever. And I remember it just like hitting me in the heart and being like, I don't want to say goodbye forever. I want to see you again. I'm, you know, I'm learning from you. I'm, a, you know, like I, I want to maintain this relationship. And, and he wasn't being a dick about it. He was just saying like, here's a, here's a teaching uh, opportunity. Everything's impermanent. When we say, I'll, I'll see you um, later, there's a little bit of delusion in it. It's a little bit of kind of delusional hopefulness. Now, my own sense is it's okay to communicate with delusional hopefulness. <laughs> we don't want to go too far, but at least having that awareness of like, you know, is there a completion here? Is there a connection? You know, am I leaving things unsaid or undone or, um, because, you know, when that guy paddled out yesterday, he, he had no idea that that was the last time he was going to see his wife and daughter or his wife and daughter, the last had no idea that was the last time they were going to get to say something to each other. And that's the reality for all of us, all of the time. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know. And we don't know when it's coming to someone else. And especially in our community, most of us recovering from addiction, recovering alcoholics and addicts and um, you know, the mortality rates in our circles are higher than the general, uh, you know, mo way more suicides, way more overdoses through relapses, way more deaths. And so, you know, for the last 35 years of my life, I've been in recovery and not just hanging out with the nice, healthy Buddhists, but hanging out with the junkies, you guys. <laughs> and so, you know, death is even closer. And it's like, you know, when you're in a meditation group like this or in a retreat or in a meeting you you know likely the next time somebody from that room from that won't be there but you don't know who it is you know so the ajahn Chah's already broken teaching and taking that um to all of your possessions now take, you know, like your car is already broken, your record collection's already broken, your clothes are already torn, <laughs> you know, everything like broken, impermanent. Now take that to your relationships 
and with the understanding of death and impermanence. Um, my father in his book, Who Dies, which is a whole investigation of death and dying, and, and he used Ajahn Chah's teaching on the glasses already broken to what if we related to each other of this relationship, this person is already dead. Or, or you know, uh, I don't know if I'll, Ajahn, Chah, Ajahn Amaro's goodbye forever, really bringing that like, is there anything that I wanna say or do, if we can do it in a lighthearted way, right? Like some of you are like, ah, fuck, I can't say goodbye forever. and. I don't like this reflection at all, but in a sort of, it's a practice, it's a reflection. We're not really saying goodbye forever. You know, we're hopeful that we will see each other and that we'll have a long connection and, you know, and hopeful. Even like I, I email with uh, Ajahn Amaro to make plans with him. And you know, every year I go and see him in Thailand and, and, uh, uh, and I'm quite aware that like the way that he communicates, he communicates from this place of uncertainty, from this place of wisdom. I will say, I will see you at the retreat in Thailand on this date. And he'll say, that's the plan. <laughs> and I really under, you know, I really take it in of like, he really gets it on a level that I don't, I'm really think that I'm going to see him. And he's really aware that it's a maybe. It's, you know, he, he's living in that dharma of, we'll see. That's the plan. The plan is that we are going to connect so many factors that have to happen between now and then for us both to get there. That's the plan. We'll see. So just again, uh, that reflection on, um, I hope that this helps you be more prepared for death so that death is not a um, shock, but that when people die, you say, of course, I'm training my mind to turn towards death, to reflect on the process. So when we get sick, injured, you know, that we're kind of in acceptance, I don't think that as much acceptance and as much um, understanding that we have, it doesn't totally get rid of grief. Grief is healthy. Sadness is healthy. It's a natural process, but it helps us navigate it so that we don't have that neurotic denial and resistance to it. We kind of turn towards loss with, uh, it's a tragedy and it's a natural part of life and it's sad and i miss the people who've died and that's a healthy emotion because there was love there and part of love and and that connection is sadness it's okay to feel sad it's healthy too my sense so i'll leave it there and open up for discussion questions comments your own reflections on death, on loss. Any questions about this uh, meditation instruction where you visualize the jackals eating the body or, you know, uh, the skeletons? You know, the Buddha was pretty graphic in this instruction. Um, 
anything. If you have a question at home, you can raise your hand in the reactions tab. And if you have anything here, just let me know. Tibby, you can go first, go ahead. Sorry, Noah, no question. Just a comment about yeah. that meditation. Yeah. Which I really didn't want to do because I lost our family, lost someone yesterday. Mm -hmm. It was the most freeing meditation I've ever heard you give us. Like the instruction, it so helped me detach non-attachment, but hilariously it made me understand non-attachment and crave non-attachment in all other ways. That was great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I've seen that too in that reflection where it's like when you're the, the, the freshly dead body, it's still easy to be a little bit identified with it. And then, but as it starts getting eaten and, and it's just a skeleton and then it's just like a hand and a pelvis and a, it's like, there's nothing to I cling to anymore. I, I know I'm not that, you know, pelvis or that jawbone or uh, it's the, you know, it's the whole package that we identify with. But once it starts to come apart or be eaten by you know, worms, and you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's not me. That's just worm food now. Please, Mark. I just know when I uh, was newly being sober, I contemplated suicide a lot. And as I was coming to Buddhism and coming to, like, my rudimentary understanding of it, it was so frustrating knowing that this is not happen yet. You know, it felt defeating in a lot of ways, being like, well, I could end it, but then the karma is just going to live on and doing the greatest, you know, detriments to it. And then, you know, then the cycles again. And I remember being just so, like, distraught at that fact, but in a weird way, kept me alive in a lot of ways, too. Um, since then, I've gotten better, for sure, in that regard, but it was just definitely something that that then wasn't an escape, you know? Like it's not really a question, it was just something that yeah. really affected me. Yeah, if you believe in reincarnation or even think to like kind of have, even have an agnostic sort of, that might be what happens. It does take away some of the relief of death. You know, that kind of our cultural like rest in peace or you're going to heaven or you're, you know, it's a very different perspective to, from like, you know, the afterlife is a pleasant realm um, to like, oh, you know, you just got to do this shit again. You got to go through adolescence and puberty and, you know, and, you know, and also depending on the karma of our lives, if it's true that's going to, you know, your next birth is going to be based on how you behaved in this lifetime, how you reacted to your pain in this lifetime. You might end up with fucking, you know, neglectful parents again or whatever it is, you know. Um, but yeah, it does take some of the relief out of it. When I was a kid, I was suicidal and um, I, and I, believed in reincarnation but for some reason i just had it of like i was convinced that i would get a better lifetime next time i was i didn't think that i didn't think that death was the end but i was just convinced that like it's got to be better than this like i'll fucking roll the dice and you know hopefully not be born to hippies just hopefully <laughs> hopefully 
Although it could have been, you know, like the truth is now I'm like, oh, the hippies were pretty good. At least I wasn't born in some conservative Christian traumatic situation like a lot of you guys were, you know, like, <laughs> fuck, that would have even been worse than those fucking hippies. Becca, go ahead. Hi. Uh, you know, uh, my father died and we were actually kind of in the room when that happened. And um, I thought, uh, I, I don't know, I don't remember ever being afraid of death. And uh, I was sitting, uh, I don't know, it was really weird. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a room where people are, are dying. It's just a really trippy scene. Um, so I decided that I was going to crawl on top of my dad and uh, tell him that I loved him. And he had kind of been in that space for a minute. And uh, so anyway, I got on top of him and uh, he opened his eyes, right? And I looked right in his eyes and it was amazing. And I told him that I loved him. I told him I'm going to be okay. You don't have to worry. And, um, you know, then my... <laughs> It was the probably the greatest moment of my entire world. And uh, enjoying that moment, then my mom starts screaming, you're killing him, get off of him, Bye! you know, just all in her space. And um, it was just really interesting, though. I felt so comfortable in that. And I didn't, you know, like I... I just want to share that because I always thought that uh, death was such a thing that we're supposed to be so, you know, freaked out and afraid of and everything. But that whole idea of, you know, being raised in it, well, you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And I never really bought into that. So it didn't freak me out. But my mom was still in that space and she's, she still is. She's 90. But um, it's really interesting to, to talk to her about that. And she's like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So finally, she's in that place where she's not sure, but she doesn't seem afraid either, which I think is really interesting. So I'm just kind of all over the place. But I just wanted to share that moment with my father because I just thought it was so it was so I, it was something I needed, you know, because we always say that death sucks for the living. And, um, and, it's, and it's our attachment to that you're just like this whole thing today. And it was great. So thank you so much that there's no guarantee. You know, and I love to be reminded of that because I want to make sure that I tell my people what I need to tell them. And I, you know, it reminds me to behave kind of <laughs> to the best of my ability. But um, anyway, so thank you. You're welcome. And that is such a beautiful image of and the ideal situation where we get to have that closure and that kind of being with our loved one on their deathbed and and getting to say the things that we want to say and and them hearing it responding connecting um and you know i think most of the time we don't get that and that, that's part of this teaching and part of this practice of um you know practice that now don't wait till your parents are dying before you say, I, I love you and I forgive you. And I, you know, if, you know, that's part of what the forgiveness practice is about. And, and this sort of death reflection, the urgency and the, the, uh, of, um, of the time that we have now in our relationships, rather than waiting for the terminal diagnosis, doing it in our relationships now and, you know, and saying goodbye forever and saying like that's the plan but we'll see <laughs> you become real non-committal <laughs> yes that's the plan
We'll see. Did did he ever talk? Or did Blue ever talk about the uh, if someone does commit suicide, what happens to you know, with the karma and just? I I know that it is uh, the question is about the karma of suicide. Um, I know that it's addressed, but I don't remember exactly what's said about it. One of the things that I've heard the monks talk about is that you know it's um, it's against the precepts to kill any living being, including yourself, and that you know killing yourself is also taking the life of a living being. Now, I don't know, there's some arguments and some, you know, uh, like my father, who was a sort of Buddhist, sort of Hindu, death and dying hospice, he very much, he ended up taking his own life at the end, and he very much believed in assisted suicide and that kind of like, you, you know, if you're just in so much pain and, you know, like, and you don't want to be here anymore, you have the right to, to take yourself out. And his perspective was like, and how could there be bad karma? As long as you do it in a way that's not causing harm to others, how could there be karma in you making that choice to not exist? But Buddhism kind of lumps all killing in, including killing yourself as an unwholesome thing to do. Don't take any life of any living being, including yourself. And and there is some kind of Buddhist perspective that says, play out your karma, no shortcut, no, you know, get out of, you know, even if you're in pain, get, you know, like do hospice, let your body's karma play itself out is the sort of Buddhist teaching. Um, but you don't have to agree with that. Everybody gets to find their own way with that. And I probably uh, would, you know, I can certainly get my mind around assisted suicides. And if people want out, they, uh, I can't see it being really bad karma, you know, to be like, I'm done. <laughs> and one of the things my dad used to say about this, one of the things he preached, he did not practice at the end, but he preached, he said, look, if you're going to kill yourself, just don't do it at someone and don't, you know, like make sure that you uh, do it in a way where somebody's not going to blame themselves make sure that he used to say that you're not hanging your skeleton in other people's closets mm. you know that that kind of like make sure like make tell everyone that you love them tell everyone that <laughs> it's not their fault say goodbye and you know because no matter what when people die there's that human tendency of the mind to blame ourselves to be like oh i should have i could have what if i and so kind of try to try to do all you can to, to take that off the table for people was part of his teaching. <laughs> Please. Going back to impermanence, what is the balance between acceptance of the impermanence and being hopeful? I think even in your example of this email, like, well, that's the plan. And you're saying, well, I hope I see you. How do you hope about this without having a life of just total practicality and acceptance of suffering and whatever? Because the hope, I think, is is such a driver. Yeah, we got to make plans. 
we have you know um the whole all of our path uh we have to have intentions we have to have plans we have to have goals we have to have you know desires and there's healthy desires and there's and connections you know all of those ways of talking about it and there's a way in which yeah hope is absolutely you know part of like a a, a healthy and inspired life it's just having enough wisdom to know it's hope it's you know how often do we get caught in our fantasies and we think that we need that to happen rather than i would i have the desire for it to happen and i hope it happens but i also know that i don't need it i know that i have everything that i need in here and that i can be at ease without getting my desires my hopes and my dreams don't have to come true but i hope they do <laughs> right so there's that balance with it's knowing oh this is just a desire it's just part of my desire system and i'm going to work for you know attaining my desires and hopes and dreams and um and staying kind of hopeful and inspired and all of those things with the wisdom that understands everything's impermanent super uncertain we don't really know what the fuck's gonna happen we don't really know but so it's even the way that you ask the question of like it's that balance hope and acceptance yeah and not getting so dry and so much wisdom that we're um you know these sort of disengaged detached but fully engaged but aware that like my hopes are just my desires i don't have to satisfy them I want to. Wanting and needing, you know, different feeling when we need it. Hope is such an interesting word because in some words, in some ways it is a lack of acceptance, but also sometimes it's a necessary uh, drive, you know, like, I was hopeless and depressed and addicted and and then I you know I got inspired and I got hopeful and I got confident that I could make some positive changes in my life and it's a very positive connotation and you know technically it's not just accept you know because it's not always the right thing to just you know become a doormat of acceptance you know that that intention to make some positive changes in our lives and in the world being hopeful we'll end there tonight with hope what do they say dopeless hope fiends that's, that's, that's your your team i used to be a hopeless dope fiend but now I'm a dopeless hope fiend. <laughs> Good to see everybody. Goodbye forever. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you're all already dead. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared with each other, 
may all get as free as possible. May it be shared outward in all directions. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. A couple of quick announcements. One is that classes done by donation, um, be as generous as you would like to be. Suggested donation for joining us on Zoom or in person is 20 to $25. If you can afford that, please give it. If you can't afford it, give what you can. Um, there's a residential meditation retreat in Los Angeles in May, May 10, 11, 12. Um, that's open for registration. In April, I'm gonna be in Texas doing a three-day um, refuge recovery retreat. If you know any Texans or people from that area, Okies, Texans, people in Louisiana, it's kind of by Houston area central whatever that is east central east i don't know texas um sebastian and i just are plotted and and made a date for the next day long here is going to be is it april 7th the first saturday in april i'm going to do a day long what is it sixth April 6th, I'm going to do a day long here for Saturday, where we spend the day sitting and walking and, and practicing meditation all day. So I'm opening that for you do the following week. I'll be in Europe. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can just tune in on Zoom from Europe, Becca. You'll be good. Um, do I have other announcements, Sebastian? Okay, April, May. Good. Good to see everybody. See you soon. I mean, goodbye forever. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.